Good morning. Y'all wouldn't mind, uh, head on in here to the auditorium. We're going to stand and praise the Lord. I've been walking through the desert, seeing the clouds in forever over me. I believe your rain is coming. Put my trust in Every word you say is gonna come true today. You guys ready to eat some fish this afternoon? We're going to have a fun day. Today we got baptism after church, then we've got a whole lot of stuff going on this afternoon. So glad you're here this morning. I'm excited to be here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll do our welcoming time. Lord Jesus, thank you. Uh, God, just for this morning that we can be here, Lord, to worship you in song. We can worship you in giving this morning and we can worship you by reading your word today. And so Lord, just bless us today. I'm excited. We get to go to the river. We start our river baptisms. Maybe cold this morning, Lord, but I'm excited to go and, and uh, baptize some new believers this morning. And so, Lord, we just love you. We worship you today. and We thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Take a couple of minutes this morning. Welcome, everyone.
this morning. All right, so big day today. After morning service, give us about five or ten minutes, and then we will leave and go down to the river. So we start, uh, I know we have several baptisms to do this morning, so if you just go out W Highway, a lot of you know the way, but go out W Highway, stay on W, go about six and a half miles, turn left on Greer Creek Road. Follow Greer Creek Road down to Greer Creek. And that's where we baptize at. It's a perfect uh, spot. You can stand on the bridge. So it's about six and a half miles out of town. That'll be, we'll leave about 10 minutes after uh, morning service. About, so about 10 minutes after morning service. And then after that, this afternoon, you can go home for a little while. And then this afternoon at Stephen Dana's, the, the address is 2401 Turnbow Road. We have spring fling today, which is catfish, crappie, kickball, cornhole, roping lessons, bring chairs, bring lawn chairs. It's going to be a blast today. So we're going to be uh, cooking a whole bunch of fish, a whole bunch of food. Uh, it says 2 o'clock on my paper. They're going to eat at 3. So we're going to eat around 3. So just come anytime in between there. We'll be eating at 3. It'll last, I don't know how long. I don't know. We may be there till 10 or 11 o'clock at night, Stephen Dana. Is that okay? I mean... <laughs> they, they're okay with that. They're, they don't care. Oh, we, yeah, they don't care. Whatever. We may go late in the evening. I don't know. But so come today. It's going to be a blast. Uh, it'll be a really good time. So ladies' ministry stuff. They're taking the month of May off for women's breakfast and coffee just because there's so much going on. But the ladies do have a trip. It is Friday, May 12th. They're going to Baker's Creek Seed Company. Are you guys taking the church bus that day? Taking the church bus that day, they leave at 9 a.m. If you are going, please sign up. They're going to go and have lunch there uh, that day. And so ladies, sign up for that if you want to go uh, that day. It's uh, May 12th. That's a Friday. Uh, what else we got? Sunday, May 7th, which is next Sunday, the graduating seniors and their family will have lunch after the morning services next Sunday on May 7th after the morning service. We have an outreach coming up. It's going to be here before we know it. The outreach is May 13th at Rotary Park. So that's Saturday, May 13th. Where's Mike at? Mike, you got any volunteer? Uh, you got plenty of volunteers? You need more volunteers? Show up. We'll get you to work. Uh, we have in, what, snow cones and all that stuff like we normally do, the bounce house, the whole nine yards. Okay. Who, Jody, you barbecuing? Jody's barbecuing that day. So here's the whole point. It's from 3 to 6. We'll have lunch, or uh, late lunch, early dinner. Uh, and then we have an outreach where we'll share the gospel with people. We'll have a service. It all happens at Rotary Park on A Highway. So if you would like to help that day, please see Mike. It's Saturday, May 13th from 3 to 6. That same day in the morning... At First Baptist Church at 8 a.m. is the Choices Walk for Life. So I know we have numerous. We have a Crossbridge team that signed up for that. So that day will be a busy day. It's all good. 8 a.m. we'll do the, I think it's actually 8.30 is when they register. We, we always get there early, though, so it's all good. Uh, be there at 8, 8.30. The walk starts at 9. Uh, it's Saturday, May 13th at First Baptist. Very important next Sunday. We're starting the new member class again next Sunday. So if you are thinking about being a member of the church, you want some more information about our statement of beliefs, that, that class is going to be in the side classroom uh, right out here in the hall starting next Sunday during Sunday school. During Sunday school next Sunday, 
the new member class starts. Um, also, it will be the last discipleship class on Sunday afternoons. will be next Sunday at 4.30. Uh, so the last one uh, for discipleship is next Sunday at 4.30. No, obviously, um, discipleship this afternoon or service because we'll be over at Stephen Dana's. Softball game, when do you guys play this week, Tommy? You're done? What was your final record? You only lost one, and it was the game I came to, right? <laughs> I'm never going to watch you guys play softball again, Tommy. But, hey, they're going to have a video of the so- a softball video, right, Wednesday night? Wednesday night, uh, we'll have normal class, too. I don't know how long it is, but Coach Tommy has a softball video of highlights and home runs and all that. I don't know. Tommy was the MVP and played this week. Wow. We got like some, some Pete Rose playing and managing. Just no gambling, right, Tommy? No, okay. All right. All right, anybody else have anything? I think we're good on announcements unless I forgot something. National Day of Prayer. Shelly, when is that? May 4th. So that is, what, this Thursday? This Thursday is National Day of Prayer at the courthouse. Yep, courthouse at, what, 5.30? 5.30 at the courthouse. If you've never been to that, it's really cool. Um, we, we gather at the courthouse and pray, and it's a really good time. So it's Thursday at 5.30. I'll remind everybody this week uh, on that. Anything else? Make sure you're there this afternoon. Get there early if you want crappie. One for Jeff, one for the church. One, that's how it's going to go. This, no. It better not or... Or I'll be in trouble. I'll be in big trouble. All right, if you would stand this morning, let's take up our morning offering today. And we'll enter our time of worship. And let's bless that morning offering. Lord Jesus, I thank you again, uh, God, just that we're here today, Lord, to worship you. I'm excited about this afternoon and just getting to hang out with my brothers and sisters today and uh, getting to eat with one another and just visit and fellowship with one another, uh, Lord. And we have so many different backgrounds uh, here today, and we all come together under you. And that's what we all have in common here today, Lord, is salvation that's only through you. And so, Lord, we love you today. Uh, just thank you. And as we enter our time of worship today, we, we have the opportunity, Lord, to give back to you. And so use it to fund your kingdom, God, not only in our local community, but around the world. And in everything, Lord, we thank you and we bless you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind.
Thanks, Ace. Thank you, guys. All right, turning your Bibles, if you would, this morning to 2 John. All the kids can go downstairs to Children's Church this morning. They would like to. 2 John. And there's no chapter because there's only one chapter in 2 John. It's one page. 2 John 1 through 12. I'm going to read, well, excuse me, 1 through 13, really. I'm going to read the whole chapter, um, but we're going to divide it up into a couple of weeks. 2 John 1 through the whole chapter here. And I also want to mention, too, while you're turning here, uh, we got a couple of members that are in the, the hospital right now. Terry Ragsdale, keep praying for Terry. He's still going through treatments and it's been rough. And also Tammy. We, we were hoping Tammy was going to get out and be here uh, this morning, but she's not. I'm sure she's watching. So just keep Tammy in your prayers. Uh, hopefully she gets out today or tomorrow. Second John, here we go. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace be with be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this love that we walk according to his commandments, this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such as the one who is the deceiver and the Antichrist, watch yourselves so that you may, may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and pen, paper and ink. Instead, I, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you, uh, God, for your word this morning, and um, I thank you uh, for this book of Second John, uh, Lord. And as we go through here, there's a lot of truths here, and there's one word in particular we're going to talk about today again, and it's truth. Uh, we also are going to talk about hospitality and uh, who, who to greet and who not to greet and uh, who's in fellowship and who's not. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning that we, you bless our time, you work in our hearts, Lord, and, and uh, Lord, again, that we... We just know the truth because that sets us free and you are truth. God, we love you and thank you. In your name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So last week, Selena and I were thankful to uh, get away for a few days uh, with her, her uh, work. Her office takes a, a trip. We were in Florida. The weather was amazing. The sunsets were absolutely breathtaking. The weather all week was just gorgeous. Um, one day we had, can't right now. Okay, you'll have to wait till after church. Okay, um, we had the opportunity to go about eight miles into the Gulf and deep sea fish, and we we caught as Brenda Cook. Uh, had told us some of the ugliest fish that you have ever seen in your entire life. Uh, one of the ones that, that I caught was called a puffer fish. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this, but they are highly 
poisonous, very, very poisonous. And in fact, in Japan, they eat them. And the chef who prepares them has to take like years of training in order to cut them up properly for you to eat them because like I, I think it's the kidney or the liver of a puffer fish is so dangerous that it can kill like, it's like cyanide, it can kill multiple people. Uh, and we caught one of those, but when you rubbed its stomach, it inhales a bunch of air and it blows up. And our guide did this, and he threw it out in the water, and it was floating on top of the water because all the air. And then it figured out, like, okay, nothing's trying to eat me, so it swam away. And it was, it was really funny, but it just seeing all of that and seeing God's creation, when you go eight miles out and we're just into the gulf a little bit, you start to see, oh, my goodness, all the things that God has created and his creation. And it's a time... Uh, of just resting and just looking at God's creation. I appreciate Mike bringing the word last week. So on to this, 2 John. This is a short book, a very short book. And in many ways, 2 John is continuing what he said a whole bunch and what we covered a whole bunch in 1 John. And he's warning about false teaching. The, the title of the sermon is Christian Hospitality because the, the message here is hospitality and inviting people in. Uh, it absolutely is, but it's also very much a warning about false teaching. Uh, that's focused on hospitality. I'm going to probably get into hospitality a little bit more uh, next week as we finish up the book. Um, but as we start with these first few verses, I want to explain them in context this morning. Uh, in the first set of verses, John here uh, says, the, the, the elder to the elect lady and her children. So, there's a little bit of debate about this. Some people think that John was talking to a congregation of believers. I think the more um, the best way to, to look at this, though, is he is actually talking to a Christian lady and her children. We aren't for sure about that. We're not for sure. But the literal understanding would be that he's writing to a particular lady that he knows and her children. But he, he starts to really hammer down on something that he talked a whole bunch about uh, in 1 John. And that was truth. He emphasized truth over and over and over. He mentioned it five times in the first four verses of this book. And truth is a basic fundamental of our faith, of what is truth. And, and truth is what unites us as a congregation. It unites us as brothers and sisters in the Lord. It is how we have unity. And he brings up truth, and then, he, and then he talks about hospitality, and he gives a warning about not even welcoming someone that is not in the truth or, or following Christ. So he also mentions love. Well, truth and love, they go hand in hand. Because we have the truth of Christ, now we're commanded to love one another, to care for one another, to be hospitable to one another. But you notice the context here is John writing to... We can either go either way, a local body of believers that are in Christ or a particular lady and her children who are in Christ and following the truth. 
And so he warns again in verse 7. Over and over throughout the book of 1 John, if you remember, we talked about false deceivers. This is a message that you may think today, well, man, he's just being so redundant because we talked about this a lot in 1 John. And I am being redundant again for a reason. And there's a reason why God mentions this over and over and over and why we should cover it over and over and over because so many people are deceived by not knowing the truth. They think they're in the truth, but they're really not. So we're going to talk again this morning about truth. What is truth? What truth isn't? So let's start with what it's not again. Truth is not something that just uh, can work. Pragmatism is an approach that assesses the truth of meaning of theories and beliefs in a term of success on their practical application. Pragmatism believes that if it works and you can work it out, then it's got to be truth. That's not the case. Lies and a lie can appear to work, but it's still a lie, and it's still not the truth. Satan uses this to keep people in bondage of their sin. What's an example? Someone who has become wealthy by deceit or false practices. It worked out for them, and it's worked their whole life, so they just keep living in it, and it becomes their truth. Truth isn't also what we can always understand. Groups can form, and we see this over and over. They can form and tell the same false story. They can tell the same thing, but many people don't believe it, but they make it a truth. False religions, false churches do this. I think of some of the Benny Hinn crusades that come to mind. Many stories of fake healings with multiple people around the scenes to deceive, if you've ever seen any of those. Truth is not what makes people feel good. Bad news can still be the truth. What's an example of that? A biblical example of that is that we are sinners who deserve hell. That is not good news. That's bad news. That doesn't make us feel good. Doesn't make anybody feel good when they understand they're standing before a holy God that they've sinned and violated Him. But is that the truth? Yes. Just because it doesn't feel good doesn't mean it's not the truth. Truth is not what the majority says. In fact, I can look around in our country and know that the majority have came to a wrong conclusion a lot. And the majority will continue to come to a wrong conclusion. Jesus said that. Jesus said, wide is the pathway to destruction, and many are going that way. Narrow is the pathway that leads to heaven, and very few find it. I'm paraphrasing there, but that's what he's saying. The majority of people are lost. So truth isn't what the majority says. Truth isn't always what people believe. A lie believed, if you believe a lie, it's still a lie. It doesn't make it the truth. The Greek word for truth means to unhide or hide nothing. It says, it, it tells us that truth is always there. It's always open for all to see. The, the Hebrew word means firmness, duration. It implies an everlasting substance, something that can be relied upon. What is truth? It's telling it like it is, the way things really are, and that any other view is wrong. There can only be one truth. There can't be multiple truths. There's only one. Relativism says that all truth is relative to the circumstances. That your truth may not be my truth. We know that's not right. 
We know that there is an absolute truth in the universe and that everything is under his authority and his control. Relativism says, well, he may be truthful to you, but it may not be for me. Truth is relative to the circumstances. Let me tell you, biblical Christianity knows nothing of relative truth. What is truth? The absolute authority of God in the universe. He is truth. Who else is truth? Jesus Christ is truth. John 14, 6, a verse we quote all the time where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's one of the most important verses in all of Scripture. Why do we quote it over and over and over? Because it's absolute truth. It is the truth. It creates a divide. Who believe in that, in John 14, 6, like we do, and many others. You will be called narrow-minded for believing in John 14, 6. It's not an inclusive message. Truth doesn't exclude, truth excludes opposite claims. It's the truth. Sincerity doesn't matter. If a person is sincere, you can be sincere and be wrong and not be in the truth. I, I, I think about people that, that make emotional decisions on things. They can be so sincere but not understand what they're believing in. Some of the most sincere people that I've ever met in my life believe false things about God. But they're kind, nice people, but they believe false things about God. They just don't understand. They don't have the truth. I can pick up, in a simple way, I could pick up a bottle of poison. And I, I could tell myself and believe that it's soda pop. And I could be sincere about that. But if I drink it like soda pop, I'm going to suffer the consequences. Because it's not. Truth is impervious to desire. A person may strongly desire that there is a car out of gas, that their car is out of gas. But if the gauge is empty, the car stops. You can say over and over, well, it's really not. But if it is, it stops. It's this verse, John 14, 6, it shows the way to eternal life. It is the groundwork. It is the truth. It tells us who truth is. By believing that Jesus is the truth, that there's only life found in him, nothing else then can save. Only through Christ. He hammers down on this over and over again in 1 John and now in 2 John. Here's a verse I want to break down a little bit. It's John 8, 32. It says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is that freedom? Let's start with knowing. What is knowing? Knowing there, as Mike said last week, is not just an intellectual knowledge that there is a God. You know, the book of James says that demons say that God is one, and yet they shudder. Satan knows of a God. He knows of God. He knows who God is. So just having the, the idea or the knowledge that there is a God does not save. It does not save. The word know here is an intimate relationship. Knowing the truth is knowing Jesus on an intimate level. Knowing him as your Lord and your Savior. It is not just knowledge that there is a God. Where's the freedom? The freedom is found from the curse of what? God's law. That we have broken God's law. We are all under a curse of the law. A curse of sin. 
and we deserve punishment. It's hard for many people to come to that realization in their life that they deserve a punishment, that they deserve the wrath of God. That's where salvation starts. That's where we, even today, as brothers and sisters in Christ, should remember. And when you take yourself to that place that you deserve in a punishment and you deserve God's wrath, yet you get mercy because of what Jesus did, what starts to happen more and more in your life? You start loving God more. You start loving God even more because of what he's done for you in your life. None of us in here deserve God's mercy. We don't deserve forgiveness. Yet he gives us mercy and forgiveness apart from anything that we do. Apart from any human work or merit. That is what separates biblical Christianity from every other religion in the world. What separates biblical Christianity from everything else is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not of your own doing. It's a free gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So because we can't work for it, we don't have anything to boast about or be proud about. We simply acknowledge who truth is. We have faith that Jesus is truth. That what he did on the cross was truth. We acknowledge that. That is the difference from biblical Christianity compared to everything else. Every other religion in the world, folks, teaches you you have to keep the rules. you got to keep the law. you got to be a good person. you got to do this. Islam teaches you you must, te- you must keep the tenets of Islam. Buddhism says get, get your good person, your inner, inner power out. Mormonism teaches you have to, once you've worked hard enough for it, once you've done enough, then God will save you. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches we're under the curse of sin. But through faith, when we put our faith in Christ, in the truth of who he is, we're saved. That separates biblical Christianity. The Bible, what does the Bible say? Christians believe this, Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, who can understand it? Many people say, I want to trust my feelings, trust my feelings, my gut will put me in the right direction. No, it won't, no, it won't. Our gut will deceive us, our feelings and emotions will deceive us. Where do we find the truth? In God's word. What does it say? Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind and give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And you start to think, well, well, hold on, that last part of that, the fruit of his deeds, that doesn't sound too bad. I mean, I've done a lot of good things in my life. I've, I've done pretty good. Well, yeah, but then when you start to see that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like Mike talked about last week, that all of our righteous deeds are filthy rags before God. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. So what we earn, a wage is what? Something you work for that you earn. So I earn death. What have we earned? We've earned death. I can't keep the law. We can't keep the law. We can't be good enough. Galatians 2.16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So we can't keep the law. We can't. I want to make sure we get this right, though. Our salvation. How did Jesus sum up the law? When you start thinking about the law of God, oh, man. Start thinking, just think about the law that's been wrote on your heart. Well, how did Jesus sum up the law? Turn to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. It says, But when the Pharisees heard he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and asked one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So how did he sum up the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now now think about this. Compare that with Galatians, with Galatians, what I just read, where it says, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So what does that mean? Justified means what? To be made right in God's eyes. How are we made right in God's eyes? Well, we can't by keeping the law. We can only be justified in God's eyes by doing what? Putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So think about this. Put these together. We are justified before God apart from loving God and loving others. That's amazing. That's how little to nothing we don't bring to the table at all. We can't add ourselves to the equation at all. We are only justified by the truth of who Jesus is. The truth of what Jesus did on the cross for us. When we know the truth, believe in the truth, then we have freedom. Listen, that's why John over and over and over says, Watch out for deceivers. Watch out for those who will pervert that message. And change that message. Watch out. And what does he say? Don't even greet them. Those it, Guys, I, I'll tell you, we see this call over and over and over to have unity. Well, the church should just have unity. Yes, unity in a body of believers who preach the truth. You can preach Jesus and have the wrong Jesus. And we can't have unity with that. We can't have unity. If somebody is preaching a false way of being saved or a false doctrine, I can't have unity with them. John says, don't even greet them. Why? What does that do? What is, why, would, why would he say that? Because then you know what starts to happen? You ever heard the old adage? And it's in here in 2 John. You, let's read it. You start to become like who you hang out with. You guys have heard that, right? For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked ways. Verse 11. What is that? That is mama saying, you are who you hang out with. 
You hang out with the wrong people, you're going to become like them. All you sweet mothers in here, Mother's Day's coming up. You don't want your little kids and your little boys hanging out with the gangs in town. Why? You wouldn't tell them, oh, just be a good influence over their life. You wouldn't do that. You would say, don't hang out with them. That's what John is telling the church. John is saying, you know the truth. God's saying, you know the truth, so don't hang out with people who don't know the truth. Well, man, that sounds pretty rough. Does that mean we just hate everyone? No. We treat them like unbelievers. How do we treat unbelievers, church? We pray for them. We share the truth with them. We love them. We're there for them. We help them. We don't separate ourselves where we don't talk to them. You care for them. Share the gospel with them. What you don't do is slap each other on the back and say, all right, brother, I love you, my brother, because they're not your brother. They're lost. They're lost. There's a divide. There, hey, Jesus brings a divide. Biblical Christianity brings a divide. What is the divide between those who are saved and those who are lost? Many times, in the sake of the word love, we try to bring that together. And it can't be brought together. The only way it can be brought together, a lost person to Christ, is when they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they're brought in. How's that happen? By us preaching the truth of who Jesus is. And then believing on that. I'll tell you what, guys. Society is muddying the waters. They're muddying the waters. And for the sake of being inclusive, and for the sake of not being called bigots or whatever else you want to call, you hear these words, right? For the sake of that, churches have started inviting lost people in. Lost people. Now when I say in, I mean into fellowship. The doors to attend this church, I've said to you guys this before. I'll make sure I get this, you understand what I'm saying here. The doors to attend Crossbridge are as wide as possible. I want every single person in Marshfield, Missouri to come to Crossbridge. Why? Because I believe we preach the truth of what God's word says. But now if you want to be in biblical fellowship and membership here, right? We have to agree on some things. Number one, you have to agree on the truth of who Jesus is. You have to have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and, and, and been baptized, right? So that's why we have meetings. We just don't let people come up here and say, all right, well, I love Crossbridge. I want to join today. Oh, well, great. We love members and pat them on the back. They may not even be a follower of Christ. So to attend the church, to hear the message, that's for everybody, we should share that with everyone, and we share that in love and in truth. But to be a part, to say that you're a brother and sister in Christ is a whole different thing. You understand? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying here in 2 John. Don't. Don't mingle. Don't mingle with this. When we know the truth and we believe in the truth, then what, what happens in our life? Oh, we have freedom. We have freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where does the spirit of the Lord live, church? Not in some special little box up here on the stage. It's not some little key that I can go flip open and say, Okay, Holy Spirit, go around the church today. Where does it live? Where does it live? 
in your heart. When you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, what do you have? Freedom. Does that mean that life's perfect? No. You know what it does mean? You're forgiven, and one day you're going to spend an eternity with Christ. That's amazing. You are free from the curse of the law. You are free. Does that mean, hey, let's go have a party? Let's, woohoo, I don't have to obey the law anymore? No. I don't know what it means. You want to obey God just like he teaches in this book because you what? Love him. Not, not to be saved, but because you love him. You want to do what God wants you to do and how you live your life because you love him. All right, here's the other thing. I'm running out of time. Here's the second thing. The other thing that's truth that we have to hold firm on. We have to hold firm on that if we, we can have fellowship in this, God's word. God's word is truth. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. God has given us an amazing thing. A more sure word than an audible voice. A more sure thing than a, than a, a feeling or an emotion or working yourself up into some crazy high. What is the amazing thing he's given us? His word. His word. We can now learn about who Jesus is. What Jesus commands of his followers. What he says. Hey, if you love me, you're going to do these things. If you really love me, if you're my follower. Listen, guys, we should have a desire for this book. If you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, and you, and you realize what Jesus has done for you on the cross and what he saved you from, you should want to know that guy more better than anything else in this world. There should be a desire to want to read this. And you know, you know how people are so led astray? You know how people are led astray? They don't know the word. They don't know what it says. They believe whatever comes out of somebody's mouth who stands behind this. Instead of reading his word. Reading his word. Test. Read. God has given us this. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what is this? This isn't man's opinion. This is God's opinion. This is God's word. Man didn't pen this. God did. He was the author. Man was the ink pen. We call this what? The inerrancy of Scripture. You know, many people who, are, who have crazy ideas about the kingdom... I talk to a lot of people about stuff like this. And you know what the number one thing is in common with most of them? They don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. They believe the Bible has errors and contradictions. If you believe the Bible has errors and contradictions, you've just opened up a Pandora's box of what's true and what's not true, and you make yourself your own God because it's up for your interpretation on what's true, and you decide how you, hey, God's Word's going to fit into how I want to live my life and not the other way around. This book is not our opinion, it's God's. And it is the final authority in the life of a follower of Jesus. You hear people say, well, I've heard, I've had a direct revelation from God. God spoke to me. Okay, what did he say? 
Well, it li- and it lines up right with Scripture. Why did God say it if He's already wrote it down? He don't need to. And somebody says, well, God spoke to me, and it doesn't line up with Scripture. It wasn't God speaking to him because he's not going to contradict himself. How, what does Satan appear like? An angel of light. You know, Satan, he doesn't want to... He, I tell people this all the time. He doesn't come dressed in with horns and a pitchfork, right? Satan was beautiful. So how, how's his message? He wants to deceive in small ways to lead you astray. And you think that you know the truth, but then it doesn't line up with God's word. God's word's not up for my own interpretation. It's not molded into how I want to live my life. We as citizens of heaven are molded into what God's word says. By what? The process of sanctification. We become more and more Christ-like. We're transformed, born again as new creation. When this book says it, it's truth. It's there. It's not up for, well, the church is old-fashioned, and we got to be progressive. Let me say this morning, progressive, the progressive movement, if you see the word progressive in front of something, just know it's from Satan. Anything that's progressive says, well, they've gotten it all wrong, and we got to be progressive to society. We have got to adapt to society. Oh, no. Uh-uh. Society should adapt to what God's word says. And if it did, I'm telling you, we'd have a lot less problems. We wouldn't have broken homes. We'd have fathers that are stepping up and their role in the household. We'd have a country that didn't look like it did. Progressivism is not of God. Psalms 119, 160 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. The, the, the word is truth and endures forever. So why do we push the reading of God's word, the study of his word, the application of God's word? Why do we push all that? Second Timothy tells us, Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This is a Bible drill verse. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Where's my disciples? These two up here, these young men. Did we just not cover that this week? We did, didn't we? We learned about what that was. There's a whole sermon series right there on 2 Timothy 3, 16. God's word encourages us. It corrects us. It tells us what's right. It tells us what's wrong. It equips us to serve our king. It's breathed out by God. Listen to me. Why do we hammer down about truth? Why is this redundant message? You're like, man, I just heard this sermon two months ago. I know, I did too, because God wants to make sure that we understand what truth is and what isn't, because there are deceivers that are going to try to lead you and your children astray. There just are. There are deceivers that are coming for your children. There are. They're coming for you. And the only way you know truth is by a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. That's it. That's it. Do you know truth? Do you know truth? I'm going to ask the worship team to come today. I want to close with this. How do we know, Jeff, how do you know for sure that there's an absolute truth in the universe? I'm a logical guy. I want to lay this out for you. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. How do we know that it's wrong to lie? It's not illegal. I could lie to you guys today, as long as you're not an FBI agent, I'm good. 
I could lie to you. But how do I know that's wrong? How do we know that it was wrong for Hitler in World War II to kill millions of Jews, many of them children? If you've never went to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., Washington, D.C. is kind of, but anymore. But I encourage you to go to the Holocaust Museum, and you can see what he did to kids with disabilities. It was horrible. It's atrocious. How do we know that it was wrong to do that? You say, well, it was illegal. No, it wasn't. Not in, not in Germany. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Many countries around the world allow women to be raped, to be treated like second-class citizens. We just turned the country back over to a whole bunch in the Taliban in Afghanistan. They treat women like property, like garbage. How do we know that's wrong? How do we know that it's wrong? In middle, many Middle Eastern countries, for them to throw someone who's homosexual off of a roof how to, and kill them. How do we know that's wrong? It's not illegal. It's because God's word has been written on our hearts. God's law has been written on your heart. It's called your conscience. Your conscience this morning tells you that there is an absolute truth. Now Romans chapter 1 says you can suppress that because you want to live a life of sin. You can suppress that. You can suppress the unrighteousness. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You can sin and you can live a life contrary to what your conscience tells you and you're suppressing the truth. And one day, you're going to stand before the creator, the God of the universe, and give an account. Jesus is truth. His word is truth. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you have salvation. Here's the whole point. We have to know the truth. And we have to be a church and a church body and a congregation that shares the truth. No matter the consequences. No matter what somebody says. No matter how politically convenient or inconvenient it is. We share the truth and nothing else. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. If you need to come, I'll be more than happy to pray with you. If you need to talk to God by yourself, you can do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, this morning for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to read it. Uh, I'm excited even about this next sermon in this, about hospitality and fellowship. And Lord, but I pray, I, I know you've worked today, so if there's people here, Lord, that don't know you, that don't know you on a personal level, not an intellectual level, on a personal level, I pray, Lord, today is the day they have salvation that's found only in you. God, I pray that as a church we stand on truth and nothing else. That we share truth and we point people to you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.
It's a big afternoon, um, 10 minutes after morning service. Mike's going to shake hands for me this morning while I go get changed for baptism. Uh, but 10 minutes after morning service, we'll start heading down there. And then go home and may take a, like a quick cat nap or Sunday afternoon. I don't know. But don't go eat lunch because we're going to have a lot of food. Just hold off Baptists from going to the buffet, okay? And, and come about two or three hours 
none, I'll survive. I, I guarantee you a lot of you will survive too, okay? And then and we're going to have a whole bunch of fish this afternoon. And it's going to be fun and fellowship, bring lawn chairs. Here's the benediction for today. It's 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Huh. So handling God's word in a correct way, a way that honors him, knowing God's word, not being ashamed because you don't, and you're presenting yourself as one approved, a good worker of Christ. So, hey, hide this in your heart. Hide this in your heart. So you won't sin against God and you can share it. The number one reason why people don't share their faith, I believe, as followers of Christ, because they're scared to get and ask a question that they can't answer. I love that because then you know what? If somebody asks me a question I can't answer, you know what it draws me to do? Find an answer. And sometimes some things you maybe you can't answer. That's okay. That's okay. You just keep digging and keep learning. This is a lifelong process. Trust me, nobody has arrived. I have not arrived. Our elders haven't arrived. Nobody has. We're all in this together, right? And that's why that's unity. And we're there for one another. And we have, we're family. And you know what? Here's the thing. I want to make the family bigger and bigger. And there's a whole bunch of people out there that don't have the hope that you have. And you know what we do? Let's go plant some seeds. And God brings the growth and the family gets bigger. And then we have to go fishing more for more crappie, right? Yeah, that's right. All right, let's close in prayer. Mike will uh, welcome your greet you as you leave. Ten minutes, we head down to the river for baptism. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, this morning for this church body. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather and worship you and praise you. Uh, and, and, Lord, just call on your name and to read your word together. And, Lord, you're the focus of everything. Everything that we want to do and everything that we do. And so, Lord, um, any, any way in our heart as we leave here that we try to put ourselves into the equation of this, Lord, I pray you convict us of that and move us out of the way, uh, God, so you can be glorified completely in everything that we do. God, we love you, and I thank you this morning. In your name I pray. Amen.